The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The, the views, views and, opinions and opinions of this show, of this show do, do not constitute not. recommendations for therapy. Please contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? Communication is life. Essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 173. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist working in the schools and in home health care with dementia and stroke patients. Joined as always by our PTSD SLP from the dry state of Florida, Rachel Arshambo. I wish. Hello. Hello. And our pediatric and research expert living in Texas, Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? Hello. And joining us back on air for the first time in about a year. She's our voice expert, as well as an adult medical and gender affirming voice care expert in Northern California, Ruchi Capella. Hi, thanks for having me back. Hello, Ruchi. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Michelle. Oh my gosh. Do you know what this means now? What? We have finally found someone to be on air with us that does not have the letter M to start their name. Rachel, you're no longer by yourself. We have two, we R's. two R's. Yeah. Right. yeah. M M three M's. M and R M R M R M. That is now Look our at show. That. And Mr. thank you Mr. for mm. another time zone because I yes. always get a bunch of <laughs> Um, <laughs> a bunch of feedback on that from my co-host, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. On today's show, we're going to look at what is happening in Asha and it's something you might actually be interested in and should listen to, as well as looking at the impact teletherapy had about showing up for therapy. Uh, we're going to dig into some burnout and school-based speech language pathologists, as well as our due process and our shout outs. But before all of that, we want to make sure that we hear from you. Head to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And this week on Discord for the Speech Science Discord, it's had some interesting discussions around food and really no therapy topics, which is the reason, or I'm sorry, which is the reason I bring this question to you this week. Normally, I ask you how your week is. I want to know what book, podcast, or movie are you guys or i guess tv show are you guys really digging into that you think other people should listen to i the thing i'm listening to this week is a book by bob Iger, the new and former ceo of disney uh the ride of a lifetime and i am picking up a bunch of stuff i'm going to be using in coaching so i found out that i uh wish i could be bob Iger. that is that is what is happening sounds like a interesting book Rachel, I've had eight Audible credits and I almost had them expire again, so I'm trying to do it. But uh, I'm only in chapter five and he's talking a lot about how uh, he's had to learn to be a good manager 
and how to get people to strive for greatness, but not being afraid to fail. So there's like this balance between striving for greatness, but being afraid to fail. And as a good leader, we need to be able to instill that drive for success, but not fear of failure. So I, th I think that's great. And from what I know about Bob Iger is that he's very well respected um, for what he does with Disney. So I, I like seeing a kind of book like that to show management skills rather than someone who is not well liked by their, you know, employees. So you mean Governor Santa? Uh, I mean, the guy down there? Yeah, that one. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's got a good show, book, movie? Um, I just finished a book for my book club that I in just recently. I'm trying to keep up with the book club. I'm bad about starting them and then not keeping up with them with life, uh, but trying to read more. So I just finished Lessons in Chemistry, um, a fictional Ooh. book. Yeah, by Never heard of that. Uh, Bonnie Garmus, I think her name is. I've heard and great things about it. I it's a really I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's about a um oh chemist, a woman, a and who is a chemist in the 1950s, um, you know, fighting against uh, discrimination and pushback because she's a female. Um, and the story is, is it wasn't as predictable as I thought it would be. I'll say mm. that. So I thought it was a good read. I didn't see everything coming that it threw in there. Is and the dog or, is or... actually, it's fiction. And the okay. dog is actually one of the narrators that they jump. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good, I'm it's out. a good lighter read. Okay. I, but I have it's it on got my some list. heavy topics. I will say that in it, but it, it goes quickly. It sounds cool. Rachel, Rucci, uh, the I, R's. <laughs> I am uh, switching between Ted Lasso for every episode that comes out with that. And then Marvelous Miss Maisel. This is the uh, final season. So I haven't watched the last episode that came out because I want to watch like two or three at the same time instead of just one episode. But I think there's only two episodes left of the entire series. And um, it's really interesting the the time jump that they've had. Um, it's been a, a really nice show. I haven't watched any of the season yet, so I'm excited too. Uh, Ted Lasso or Miss Mar Miss <laughs> Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm working my way through Ted Lasso. <laughs> uh, my wife is on season one, so I'm not allowed to watch season three yet. That's Aww. fair. <laughs> Ruchi, um, I think I know what you said you were going to bring up. What yeah, do you got? so I as a as a good speech language pathologist in quotation marks, um, I recently got manual therapy for voice and swallowing. A person-centered approach by Walt Fritz came in Ooh. the mail. And so finally, Ooh. that's fresh on print. I haven't gotten to do any of my social media shares, but a lot of wonderful photographs um, that are really helpful in terms of doing manual therapy approach for voice considerations. And it was an excellent training that I went to. So like a nice refresher. The other book that I'm really excited about that I should be getting in tomorrow is A Day With No Words by Tiffany or Tiff Hammond. She's a black autistic mother advocate wow. um, with two black autistic uh, adolescent children, teenage children. And so it's really um, a, basically a picture book or a, a story book that's about uh, I think the use of AAC or multimodal communication and not like centering uh, verbal communication from, you know, the black autistic perspective, which I think is really awesome. And something that I wanted to highlight today. I'm watching Succession. Uh, <laughs> I think Succession should also be like how, how to not try to market yourself as a speech language pathologist on social media. 
<laughs> how, how do you know so it's, it's been interesting to watch watch that and and just feel like oh okay it's nice it's nice to be a, a an independent somewhat um you know kind of like under the radar little little slp private practice owner just chugging along like thomas the train engine <laughs> so i've always like i love succession I'm like way behind. It's one of those shows that my wife watches without me. So if I'm lucky enough to be in the room when it's on, then I'm caught up to the most recent episode. And if not, I'm way episodes behind. But when I worked in TV, it really felt like the moment the manager like or anchor passed away or got fired, you'd have everyone climbing in for that spot. Uh, Kind of happy that doesn't happen in the school setting. I'm glad that when I go on lunch, there are not four other SLPs plotting on selling my office behind me. <laughs> that you know of. That I know <laughs> of. Yeah, that's true. They wouldn't get got, much money off your office, though. <laughs> I just got pictures. I got to go see my new office, y'all. Nice. Do you like and it? I don't know if I'll be able to put a table in there for group therapy. And my wall is really yellow and I can't hang anything for the first year and a half. But it smells like new paint and wood, so I'm excited. First year and a half? What is that? Uh, I guess they need to make sure that, like, the walls stay up and that they can take good photos for everybody to look That's at the new building. The micromanagery timeline. No. And I was going to say, I saw the pictures of your room, and with the yellow, the, all those fluorescent lights would be off. The, get uh, a lamp. It's gold. It's gold. Not it's yellow. yellow. It's yellow. It's it's so bright. It's so distracting. Just turn those lights off, get a little lamp, and that would be so much oh, yeah. better. I'm going to get one of those. Like I have it in behind me. It's like one of those four, five bulb ones that you can mm -hmm. rearrange. So. Yeah. Ah, all right. Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure you send us your book, podcast, movie, TV show recommendations. Are you good at your job like Ruchi and you're reading both for fun and school or uh, for job? Or are you like me who is uh, listening to Disney in any way you can? Speech Science Podcast at gmail.com. When something is good, we want to hear about it. That's why we have the SS Pod shout out is our opportunity to single out somebody or someone doing something super awesome in our field. And I thought uh, for this one, uh, down in Texas, Tar I'm going to probably mispronounce it, Tarleton State University uh, has their very first communication science and disorders cohort graduating this spring. So shout out to the Tarleton State University graduates. Welcome to our field. Uh, of the four in their cohort, I believe two already have jobs. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Tarleton was not on our last episode yeah, about the I've... top 223 grad schools in America. I don't know where that is. I'm not a true Texan. I know that. So I don't know all of Texas universities, but I'm not sure where that is. I'm looking it up now. Stephenville, Texas. Y'all ever been down there? Uh, no, but it looks like they have campuses in Waco and Fort Worth as well. It's a, and a go, member of the a and University system. Cool. So there you go. As somebody who grew up in Texas, I'm just like, so what's the pro proximity to Lubbock, Dallas, Houston, Austin, or San Antonio? These are the mm -hmm. things I know. Okay, El Paso, I always forget about you. I apologize. but I know. <laughs> I lived there for three years. <laughs> Ooh, it is just southwest of Fort Worth. That oh, sounds that right. Sense. And northwest of Waco, near Eastland, between Comanche and Granbury. Mm. 
I don't know. I don't live in Texas, y'all. So Texas is a huge state, though. So even if it you live in Texas, you could I, be hours and hours away. <laughs> maybe so. I'll go take a trip there because I'm going back to Fort Worth this summer because I bought Greta Van Fleet tickets. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> great. That's your your concert my, from last year. It, yes, which I went, but I went in March. And then they released another tour and I had to get tickets. My brothers live in Dallas. So it's not like I'm just flying to wherever I'm flying to, to Fort Worth. Gonna it's see an my hour brothers. and 10 minutes from Fort Worth. Yes. Are your brothers so, going to the concert too? I haven't picked my plus one yet. Ooh, so okay. whoever's lucky enough to go with me. <laughs> <laughs> we can give that away on airspeedsciencepodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> Why should you be Rachel's plus one to go to Fort Worth? That. Visit the new Tarleton State University grad program and go see uh, Greta Van Fleet. I like it. Congratulations <laughs> to the four who have graduated from Tarleton. Uh, how big was your y'all's cohorts? We had what, Michelle? We had 20. I was in the Omni program, so I had 10. Yeah, but technically was ours different. was 23, 25. Rachel, how many was yours? We started with 30, but that was five from the um, consortium track that it took them five years to graduate. And then uh, we ended up with 25, I think. Ruchi? I don't know. I made something like 12 to 15 in our immediate. And then we had an overlapping cohort that probably had 20 some odd folks in that. So mm -hmm. um, just like who had done undergrad and something else. Mm. I, I give shout out. It says the, the four is Morgan, Ailey, Norma, and Jillian uh, of different parts of Texas. I give shout out. I like, we had tw like the 2025 in our group, Michelle. And I know like if there was only four of us, you run that risk of like, I hope you like everyone in your grad program. <laughs> yep. There you go. But uh, I mean, also great for them being the first mm -hmm. cohort oh, yeah. going through them. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, you're laying the groundwork for everybody else behind you and the, uh, the experimental group for a lot of people too, um, uh, professors and, and program wise. So congrats. On the flip side of the SS pod shout out is where things are not going right. You can do it as the SS pod due process this week. The due process was sparked by an online conversation about whether a person with a communication deficit should be hired and what becomes of our role if we are working in or around or hear that kind of conversation. Uh, so what is our role? How far do we step into something to say, hey, that feels very discriminatory when we're not, maybe we're not part of the hiring team. Where does that, you know, as, as advocates for folks with communication deficits or delays, what, what is our role in all of this? I... Uh... I think it's a, a problem to it, it basically sets the precedent that speech pathologists need to have a perfect way of speech. It is and perfect is set by the person that's doing the hiring. Right. So in my cohort, I can think of we were in our final semester um, of grad school. And I remember this girl that I had just been with for the for the six semesters um, came out of our professor's office crying. And she was like, she was basically scolded for having a lisp. She was saying that you should probably work in the medical side of it because you can't teach kids how to make sounds when you can't make sounds correctly. And I just remember her, her name has a ton of S's and a ton of R's. And she's like, I don't have a lisp. And, and she had like a very, very slight one, but to be 
told that you can't be an SLP because you can't say things the right way, where does it stop? You know, I think of people regionally, how different sounds are made. And we're not going to say, oh, you know what? I can't hire you from New York because we're in Texas and we say things differently or vice versa. So I, I think it's completely inappropriate and we are going after the most highly qualified and it's not how that comes across. You know, and I'm thinking to this post that was deleted, right? That was talking mm -hmm. about hiring an educator, I believe an early education uh, person, because I saw the post before it was then deleted. And I took it when I read the post that this anonymous poster was wondering, my, my hope is that maybe they were advocating for hiring mm -hmm. this person if the hiring team had questions. Um, I don't, I don't know, because I can't look back at the post, but I know. Um, but if I were on a hiring team, and for me, having been hired in multiple different states with different populations, we were just talking off air about El Paso, Texas, where um, as a native English speaker, I was not a preferred candidate in a lot of places, right? Mm -hmm. um, and not a fluent bilingual Spanish speaker. Um, but just like you said, Rachel, if we're talking about advocating for people with different communication modalities or different communication needs, um, what we're talking about with a lisp is to me no different than an accent or a regional different way of saying things or um, a stutter a stutter yeah it's something you, that you can't is... be a lawyer because you stutter like that that is so wildly mm -hmm. inappropriate to make that kind of general statement i feel yep and that if we're talking about their qualifications for something um are they the best person for the job right? Mm -hmm. And it, are they the best qualified candidate? Not how do they produce the S sound? <laughs> um, and I, I will say, I mean, I, I remember a good friend of mine who taking a role in a, um, a youth leadership program, and it was brought to his attention when they were looking at a promotion forum about um, a communication difference involving a lisp and some different sounds because he was going to be in a public speaking role. They weren't saying he couldn't have it, but I did appreciate that they actually pulled him aside and had a conversation with him about being able to be understood by a wide variety of people. Um, but it wasn't, I thought on that interview team, it was a good way of doing it. It wasn't like, oh, we're not hiring this person or considering them for this promotion because of X. It was like, hey, how can we support you to make sure more people can understand you and that this is not a, uh, you know, a, a detriment to you in this role in any way. Um, so I think there's a way that you could approach it that is person-centered without it being an attack on a communication difference that they don't have control over. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's about, are, is somebody functionally intelligible and overall comprehensible in their work? Um, Children in education settings are going to be bombarded with a lot of different pr productions of um, phonemes from a lot of different types of people. Yeah. Um, even when we think about hiring people whose phonetic inventory is going to be different than a monolingual English speaker, we have to have um, flexibility around that. There is obviously a lot of pushback within the profession with regard to uh, requiring people to do accent mod and what the functionality is and whether something is really appropriate for somebody's uh, 
you know, job description or what they're working on. And at the end of the day, we, we live in a world with a lot of technological advancement. Uh, we can use video resources, um, articulatory tools like puppets and all of these things, other students as models. When we're talking about considering people for a job based on, you know, phonetic or phonemic inventory with their L1, like that shouldn't really necessarily play into the role. And we do have the ad advantage of having a lot of video samples, audio samples, apps, um, other teaching tools to help with articulatory targets. Um, you know, and it, we have to remember as if, if it was a speech language pathologist in this consideration, we're not like, you know, teaching anything when it comes to phonetics uh, in, in like or um, articulation in a vacuum, as it were. So it's about kind of using all of these resources and finding a workaround. If you have a, a you have a, you have a slip to demonstrate, then what would what would the issue really be? And Ruchi, you do voice, correct? Yeah. Voice therapy? In my better days. Yeah, sure. How much <laughs> how much articulatory therapy are you doing on a weekly basis? You'd be surprised. I mean, I, okay. I do talk yeah. a lot about articulatory placement when it comes to gender affirming voice care. So it does happen. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you might, might run into somebody who does have um, a frontal or lateral lisp like presentation or different sibilant presentation and they don't want to change it. And we mm -hmm. also hear about mm -hmm. kids um, who middle school, high school, they'll self-advocate and be like, I really don't want to work on this anymore. And we have to yep. normalize that those people can still get hired because they've they've exercised a choice in terms of how they want to sound. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, say, I work in a middle school right now. They all want to pick up somebody as a date. So they all want to fix their R's and L's and W's right now. But when they get to the high school, they're much more comfortable with it. So, Well, and Matt, I wanted to ask you coming yeah. from a a radio and media background because this conversation got me thinking about other fields like reporters and newscasters who I do think probably even more so than our field face some discrimination um, with accents and ways of speech. Uh, so the first person I immediately think of when I think of an actor or an actress with a lisp uh, is Elastigirl. And I can't think of the actress's name right now because it just escaped me off the top of my head. Uh, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter has made a career because she's got, I mean, she's a great actress, but she's also got such a distinct voice. And all of us would say, oh yeah, she's failing the Goldman Fristo or the Arizona because of that <laughs> lateralized lisp. Uh, when it comes to newscasters, when it comes to radio DJs with lisps or uh, rolled R's, I mean, who's the uh, guy on Big Bang Theory with the, the rolled R? That's a throwback, Matt. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, I, I I think of many news people with speech differences. Michael Strahan, Barbara Walters was mm -hmm. vilified, you know, like for how and I understand that people go through that accent modification in order for people to understand and they lose that accent, uh, lose those accents from a professional standpoint because they feel that they need to or they're told that they have to do that. And I hope that we have come some way that they can start to to speak with their natural cadence and, and we shouldn't have to make it so standard in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, then I, I, what would you guys, what would you all say then our role as SLPs are? Obviously on hire hiring teams, we can advocate to say this should not be relevant to if they can perform this job. But um, what what is our role? I'm just, I want your opinions. What is our role as SLPs to advocate for people? People listen to us? <laughs> when did that happen? 
they care what we think. They do um, during no, Better Speech and Hearing Month or Hearing oh, and great. Speech Month. Oh, <laughs> great. Nobody let me, lets me forget about that. Um, but I, I think, I mean, I think we can do a lot of education around what, what are functional outcomes. Some people uh, change uh, their productions and some people don't. Some people live full and happy and productive lives, not changing them. And it's a matter of, of personal agency. And at the end of the day, is it like, is the semantic message kind of coming across? Um, and that message is not going to just be delivered by a teacher lecturing or an educator lecturing, right? It's also going to be print resources, um, multimedia resources. So it's not that like everything is going to be dependent on uh, the articulation of the of the, of the teacher, right? I, yeah. kind, I kind of feel that our job, and I agree with you, Ruchi, but I think our job, whenever we hear any type of discriminatory comments, should be sticking up for, for everyone. I mean, but, and that sounds like such an, a generic attitude. But, but what I mean, yeah, go for it. Sorry, Rachel. Pe people don't feel that it is discriminatory. And that's what I'm saying is that that's we should step up for that, though. That's what I'm saying is like, yes. If we hear like, oh, that person's got a lisp on their L's, they won't be a good kindergarten teacher. That's where we really have to say like, you know, like what Ruchi was saying, they don't, we don't learn phonemes by one person talking. We hear them from mm -hmm. everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. Then that's where we're also, we throw out like the, the, the whole idea of what is discriminatory. I had a coworker who I like at a Christmas party, didn't realize that my daughter was deaf but then said something about, you know, all of us are going to lose our hearing and then Mr. Hot's going to make sure that we help us so that we all don't up deaf. And then afterwards I was like, yo, Vic, do you know my daughter's deaf? And he was like, oh, I didn't mean it like in a negative. And I was like, well, you're kind of using her, you know, disability as like a joke. And I think, and he didn't mean it like that at all. And he profusely apologized and we're still fine to this day. But like, I feel like our job is to stick up for those who don't necessarily well can those, or want to in that situation does that make sense those, yes there's those ableist comments that i i think we are we have a responsibility for calling them out um but regarding this speech discrimination for jobs of people mm -hmm. that have speech differences um there we're going to have clients that want to fix in their terms they want to sound a certain way we can help support them that's that is our scope is to help support our patients and what their goals are i i think that's like that's period fair. That, that's you fair. know and it's what Rishi, their goals what was are the, what was the term you said self um I, you said it a minute ago and advocacy I can't yeah but self-advocacy but their own goals what rachel's getting at too yeah <laughs> just i mean that there needs to be client-centered focus and the understanding that like those decisions can go a lot of different ways and all of that has to be validated um yeah okay we want to hear from, <laughs> i thought there was gonna be more i apologize we want to hear from you speech science podcast at gmail.com or speech science podcast Dot com. All right. So that brings us to our very first article. Uh, it was in the American Journal for Speech Language Pathology, a comparison of voice therapy attendance rates between in-person and telepractice. And would you know that when you give people more access to therapy, guess what they do? They, they show attend. up. They don't cancel as often. It's amazing. Now, 
I only had to do, uh, I do a, a couple private patients on teletherapy and then everything else I do is in person. Um, I can honestly say that I have only had a teletherapy patient cancel one time in three years. Uh, and that was because of like internet outage where in-person therapy, I am lucky if I have less than three cancellations a week. Totally. And I, I'm not in voice therapy, but just I attend therapy. Uh, I do therapy with a right, mental right, health right. counselor, um, like, usually every three weeks or so. And I would not be attending if it were in person. I've gone consistently for five years now. And thankfully, when, when COVID happened, it went all virtual and she has remained that way. And that fits into my schedule. Otherwise I would be driving there, you know, it would take about three hours of my day to do that. And that would be tossed aside. So I completely understand this. I see this and I hope that the accessibility is allowing people to participate in voice therapy when they might not have said, oh, you know what? I don't really want to go anywhere and do that. Or I don't have the access to go in person. I, th I think that is the, the big benefit here. Yeah, I mean, I established my private practice um, in, that was focusing more on gender affirming voice and singing voice specialty in 2020. So, um, uh -huh. you know, I definitely, like everything I do is via telepractice. And so I, I do, I mean, because of the subspecialty and because of, you know, just like lots of like waxing and waning that can happen in the community, I definitely do get like no shows at times or cancellations because of um, outage, probably not like, you know, perfect attendance, but it, it is much easier system to be able to reschedule people, um, do not have the consideration for transport or like, um, do I have to be concerned about, you know, will I be able to use the bathroom there because I'm a trans or gender nonconforming person? True. That's a whole other kit and caboodle consideration um, for anybody who has a brick and mortar and being able to advocate for those pieces. So being able to have a, let a client have control over their environment, making sure that they feel safe and comfortable doing what they're doing um, um, and being able to sign on kind of at a last minute notice versus having to prepare driving 30 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, however long to be able to see you makes a huge difference. Um, but I will say about the article, like, I think one of the things that was surprising was they had compared it from 2019 for in-person in in services in 2020 for telepractice. So there has to be also a variable of people going through um, <laughs> COVID right. and social isolation. <laughs> and that is probably some variable that you have to map for like people just wanting social interaction and that also boosting the level of um, attendance initiation as well as like minimizing no-shows and cancellations. Uh, it's something to think about. I think it's an interesting starting point, though, because we are, you know, if you think back to if you think back to the COVID days and there was the big fight and uproar, or I'm sorry, pre-COVID days about what is the impact telepractice is going to have on our on our jobs? Is it going to cause folks to lose jobs? Are you going to see school districts decide it's cheaper to hire somebody from another city to serve those students? And then all of a sudden we got thrown into COVID where we all had to learn how to do telepractice really overnight. And now uh, what I like about a study like this is that it does give a little bit more credence. If you want to say, I want to add a little telepract, I want to add a telepractice to my, 
private practice, or I'm willing to do teletherapy online because a student is unable to come into the school building. Or, you know, just because, it, like you said, Richie, you can meet this patient or the student where they're at instead of forcing them to come into our arena. It's almost like home care, but better in my eyes. Well, and then you made me think too, Matt, because we've touched on the transportation piece. They don't have to have a working car or someone to drive them. Um, if if you're talking with young people or if people who have children, childcare, or if they can bring children with them to an appointment. Um, and then I was also thinking just a comfort piece, right? Being in your home. And then if you're worried about not even just COVID, but flu season and all those things of, I, I've had patients who are much more comfortable with, yes, I can still see you over teletherapy because we have someone in our house who's not feeling well, or such and such might have the flu. I'm coming down with a little bit of a cough and I don't want to be in person, but I can meet with you. Or they're immunocompromised. The mm -hmm. yes. That's the and other side of it. Yes, so it's yeah. accessibility for, for disability. Or PTSD from coming into school. There's a whole bunch of reasons. I am a big fan of teletherapy. I think that it is a benefit overall um, to be able to provide this to people who wouldn't have the services otherwise and might even feel more comfortable with this modality. Now, Richie, do you do you do mostly teletherapy or all teletherapy? It's all, ter all teletherapy, teletherapy at this time. Yeah, I mean, I I consider like making the switch, but it it's it's a lot to do, <laughs> and I think. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's probably cheaper from a business side too, because you don't oh, need yeah. you don't need like an office space for forty people. Yeah, I mean it works really well for my needs. I think, especially doing voice and gender affirming voice considerations, it really I think pushes the client, which is not this is not specific to me. I think this is specific to voice practitioners who work in this way anyway. Mm -hmm. um, that they have to rely on themselves. They have to rely on their own um, right. ears. They're like navigating certain things like circumlaryngeal massage. I can demonstrate, I'm describing how much pressure I have to apply or and where, but the client also has to kind of like do that for themselves and not say, okay, well, this practitioner is gonna do it for me, but I'm not really sure how to do it on my own or or approximating. So it kind of puts the onus on the client to be able to you know, kind of push forward in terms of approximating their targets or doing their warm ups or whatever it is. And, 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 you know, and you're already kind of doing it in the setting that they normally would. So the, the advantage of home health where you're having functional, um, kind of intervention that mm -hmm. already kind of happens, it is like a home health plus kind of benefit that you're, they're already in the space where they do these things. When I do my teletherapy and I don't want to speak for everyone that does teletherapy, I realize I have to become a better therapist just for what you just described, Ruchi. I'm thinking of a patient that I've worked with trying to improve, going back to what we were just talking about, improving their articulation and voice control and loudness. And I'm trying to say, oh, what I need you to do is to feel it. And it's like, oh my gosh, I need to learn how to describe it better than just like, oh, you know that motion you feel in here? Like it is making me a better therapist to describe it in a way that somebody who's not an SLP understands it. Yeah. The irony is that because I've played video games so much, <laughs> I can really describe so many of the like voice considerations, like uh, kinesthetic feelings based off of things like that. Like I was like, you don't want to crash the helicopter in GTA when you're doing diaphragmatic breathing <laughs> and flow phonation, <laughs> right? 
but only a few people are going to understand what I said, and that's okay. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> my my son and I will log on to TikTok together to watch. Sorry, not related to this at all, but there is a quadriplegic video gamer, streamer, Twitcher, TikToker, uh, who uses uh, breaths and sucking and movement to wow. play Fortnite. So my son and I will watch him play every week. Like, and my son is blown away that this dude is like running Fortnite scores up, and he's just using ref support so so interesting we want to hear from you speech science podcast at gmail.com or speech science podcast.com are you doing teletherapy have you noticed a rise or fall in your no-shows our second article is coming out of the language speech and hearing services in schools journal and uh school-based speech language pathologist stress and burnout a cross-sectional survey at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and not surprising to anyone currently in the field 65% of the people surveyed are looking to leave the field within the next three years. Yep. Who would have thought our job uh, is overstressed, underappreciated, and also emotionally draining uh, as part of what they cited in the study, leading to higher burnout rates. I don't feel like I have a whole lot to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, like, how was your car crash? Was it as terrible as it looked? It is. It is. Uh, what they say is the factors include caseload size, severity of the treated disorders, availability of resources. Uh, of course, this was a study during uh, COVID, uh, I guess, COVID situations in the school, but I don't think many things have changed. Actually, I think things have gotten back to normal in my school district, which feels not as good as they were during the COVID times. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I would just add, I know, I don't want to say it all comes back to money, but often it, does. it feels like it does, it does because, um, because if you compare speech pathology and we have talked about this on air before, uh, to other, I will say education matched medical professions mm -hmm. with the same amount of years and clinical hours as we have, we are on the very low end of that pay. Um, across settings, especially in schools. And, um, and so I, there isn't the money in our field to keep people in it when they can find other fields they can go to and make close to that same range for way less stress. Totally. And uh, I always talk about um, educators that it, we're lumped into the same category as them a lot, especially school-based SLPs, which contributes to why our salary is low and everything. But a, a study came out a few years ago about teachers that the um, the retention rate, it was like at the, the first year, 50% of teachers don't return. And then with five years- three or five, yeah. It's drops. like close to a hundred percent, like it, they're done. So, so why is that? It's not just because they don't feel like it, like the, it, it, there are reasons and there are many reasons listed here and shout out to, uh, Shannon Hall Mills and Kelly, uh, I can never say your last name. Sorry. My brain is really rough today. Um, but I've met you both and thank you for, for, um, doing this article. I, I, think that it's really important. And honestly, I hope that school-based SLPs use this article uh, to negotiate with their districts why they should increase salaries. I, plan I already printed this out and I will be bringing it to my union 
and I'm mm -hmm. part of the teachers union because we are in discussions right now for raising the salary because of how bad it is this year in our district. This is a major help. So thank you all for, for uh, creating this article. And uh, please, all of you out there that are struggling with a lot of these issues, especially in the school system, show this to your superiors. Yeah, Rachel, I'm glad that you talked about collective bargaining because, you know, at, oh, I want to give a shout out and much love to Oakland Unified School School District, which is in the area they've gone on strike since I believe mm -hmm. May 4th, wow. um, which is continuing. And so a uh, bunch of speech language pathologists out there picketing as alongside educators. And and this is, I mean, I think that's what the crux of, of this is about, that they're not getting enough pay and the caseloads are not appropriate and they're not getting the support that they need. So there is a demonstration for that. There is a history for that. And I think everybody who is being impacted in this way and from one like you know, former like acute care or inpatient medical SLP, school SLPs, you have a much harder job <laughs> from my standpoint, <laughs> because at least I can finish my documentation that day. Or if I have to go, you know, I don't like to document off the clock, but if I had to, I, I could and get things done. What you have to do like day in and day out, and it feels like the job is never done for nine months out of the year to 12 months out of the year, depending. It's just, it's, it's way too much depending on some of the caseloads that you get and you deserve better. They state, they, they state in the article, the quote, the trajectory of the data available to researchers and other stakeholders suggests that SLPs are abandoning the school setting at an alarming rate. Uh, and what we have to do is that we have to, uh, SLPs in the schools require advocates at all levels who will fight for their rights more, for more time to prepare paperwork, prepare for therapy sessions, and consume research, their right to equitable compensation for their workloads and training, and right to effective work-life balance. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about last week. There's what, a seven, or not last week, the last episode, 17-year delay from research to mm. in practice, that if I am an overworked SLP, yeah, you know how much time I get to look at research at my job? 30 minutes a week. I am hoping the article that I have picked that week for 30 minutes is going to help my students. Odds are it probably doesn't because I don't know what I'm picking up to read, but I'm not surprised by any of this either, which well, is the and having part. worked worked in a school for four years and then worked in other settings since because we've moved around a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I can say... I don't have the exact numbers on hand, but I know that working three days a week in a different, in an outpatient setting, I was making as much as I made mm. full-time in a school. And I know that that's not like, I'm talking hourly rates. Right. I know what I was making versus just, okay, you get, you're not paid for the summers. You're paid on a nine or 10 month calendar. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, I could make as much as I was making in a school um, on three days a week in a different setting. And that's still doing speech therapy. So I know there's other fields that people are leaving for. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And I, I mean, I think there's also major potential for um, SLPs who are school, um, school district employees or contractors for large firms to just become private practitioners who mm -hmm. contract with school districts. Make more money. And have a lot more control over what the situation is. So, I mean, I, I think it's, it is a matter of time unless, unless something changes. They, well, I mean, how many times do you see on the Facebooks the 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 call for a national union for speech therapy, very similar to the the NEA. 
that yeah. would be I mean, that would be great. Is that the next step? I mean, and for just, anybody listening, NEA, Matt, National Education Association, the Teachers Union. Okay. OEA here in Ohio, the Ohio Education Association. I assume if your state has it, it's probably your state's initial. Okay. So we want to hear from you. How close are you to burnout? Uh, are you like me? And every four to five years, you have to have that conversation with your your spouse, your wife, your husband. Hey, uh, should I stay in my job? Should I leave my job? Let us know. Speed Science Podcast at gmail.com, Speed Science Podcast. Dot com. Coming up around the break, we have our ASHA look wrapping up this show, and then we are all going home. You're listening to Speed Science. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual, and uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined by the other M, Michelle. Hi. The third M, Marie, is on vacation in Colorado. I hope she is enjoying it. Our double R's, Ruchi, hello. Hi. Rachel, hello. Hi. In case you're wondering why I choose that order, it is literally from who is top to bottom on my on Zoom your meet. Screen. Yep. <laughs> and it changes every time we log in. So no one knows who's first and who's second. I just love that. Uh, as we come back in, I want to know what was your favorite game as a kid, young adult, or in college? Cards Against Humanity. Oh my God, you're so young. <laughs> I think that came out after grad school for me or like in grad school. I I don't know when no, it came I'm not out judging. for me. I'm not judging. I just was, that was my initial reaction. I was going to say I love Stratego as a kid because I am a nerd. Michelle Rucci. Uh, when I was a young kid and I actually still have this game, I've taught it to my kids and I use it in therapy a mm-hmm. lot. Um, it's an old game from the 1980s called Kids on Stage. And Ooh, it's a charade game. So basically charades for kids, but it's so great because it's just visual, simple icons um, and you can act them out or, I mean, you can change it up for speech therapy, but I loved that game as a child and I still have it. Um, I'll I'll have to post a picture of it or something. See if anyone else. There's a new game out by that. It's 20 bucks on Amazon. Kids on stage. Yeah. Kids on stage. Yeah. I'll have to look it up and see if it's the same. Um, And then the other game that I loved as I got older as a teen, I did. I still like apples to apples. Yeah, that was the original that led to all the cards mm-hmm. against humanity and every variation out there. Yeah, Matt. So this is specifically board games, right? Uh, uh, any, <laughs> any. I mean, mine was Madden okay. football, but that's pretty boring and yeah. typical. Yeah, maybe maybe any Zelda iteration. Um, I, I would say um, I um, in terms of board games, 
like apples apples was definitely on there taboo was another one i really liked yes. because you have to name synonyms which is like my favorite thing under a time and you have to see how good I you're love taboo yeah yes. taboo is like one of my favorites um anything that's jackbox games related oh um, you don't know jack i love that game yeah 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 and so everything all these like current iterations are a lot of fun too so yeah i'm I'm down for a lot of things. I really well, enjoyed Mad Gab when that came out. I, I still have one. it. The uh, It's jumbled. You'll have somebody trying to read it, but it's not spelled right. So they're saying a common phrase that they don't realize is a common phrase and they have to figure out what it is because they're okay. reading it differently. Um, mm -hmm. It's an orange box, but I loved it years ago. And my husband pointed out to me, <laughs> I was like, oh, I really like the game. He goes, of course you did. You're a speech therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> it's the same with that one that you put in that mouth guard thing that like stretches your cheeks out. I haven't played that yet, but that, I think it would be fun. I think SLPs would absolutely wreck at that game. Like, it's like, how do you know? It's like, well, I can see there's no lips. What you're going for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What you're going for. Uh, Ruji, you made me think of when you said, like, when you asked about the board games or video games, uh, there was a TikTok that brought up the video game Mist. Do you guys remember the game Mist? Ah, oh, geez, Mist. No. Wow. I never got over the island. I could never get the first door unlocked. And that is all I remember of that game. I played Mist Fireball at, like, Island. Right? They've remade. Yeah. That made oh. me think of Fireball Island. Did you ever play that one as I a kid? I have not. Oh, I'll have to find it. We've got to share some of these. I would love to hear people's favorite games as well. Like the video yes. or the board game Fireball Island? Yes. I just Googled it. To be honest, board Ugh. games really stress me out. I really don't enjoy them. I have a board them. game tables behind me. I really don't it's enjoy covered them. covered with a bunch of junk. <laughs> I want like to hear from you. Cards. <laughs> also, Speech science podcast. Oh, yeah, go for it. Sorry, Richie. Everything. I mean, we're talking about games that you're gonna play in the therapy room because I did. I did oh, invest no, quite I was just a bit. Talking about I was... general, just games. Like, I mean, I've just used some of the ones that I like in therapy. So. I played yeah. Metal Gear Solid a lot. I don't think I could play that with a kid. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you know what? What I would love to do in inpatient rehab is have somebody play Hitman. You know, oh. <laughs> just having to. <laughs> having to navigate did they hear you did you oh, stun them did you see, do everything in a timely gear. appropriate do you guys know it, what metal gear solid is ruchi you probably yes do. i do rachel michelle mm -mm. okay so it's a it's a video game and long story short you're you're an unknown if you're a good guy or bad guy depending on which version of the game you're playing and you got to go through these different levels and metal gear solid 5 you have a way to either kill your opponents or stun your opponents and uh, I used to kill everyone until my son got old enough to ask me why I was killing everyone. So then I had to put them all to sleep and then they kept waking back up. So, <laughs> yeah, I always choose like minimum amount of, of damage, but it is like you have nope. to do all this visual spatial awareness. Uh, it's okay, Matt. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Speech science podcast at gmail.com. Hey, near the end of our show, we always like to take a look at what is going on in Asha. Sometimes we love it. Sometimes we hate it. It's a section we call. What up, Asha? What up, Asha? Uh, this week in What Up, Asha, it's the Leadership Mentoring Program. It is taking place. It is a six-month mentoring program for current Asha members. It's mentee-driven. Mentee should be self-motivated uh, to prepare to determine the focus of the mentor relationship. And we'll be meeting at least once per month. They are uh, allowing you to enroll as either a mentor or a mentee currently and i am a, as as what asha does good and bad i'm a huge advocate of giving back to our field if you are in a role that you could be a mentor to somebody 
I think it's awesome. If you are in a position where you need to have a mentor, you need to be the mentee. That's okay too. There are so many people in this field that have so much to give. It doesn't matter if you're in for one year or 50 years. I think you can fit in both of these roles because people are so needed. I think it's such an op- awesome volunteer position. It also says uh, this program is mentee-driven. Mentees mm-hmm. should be self-motivated and should be prepared to determine the focus of the mentor relationship based on their leadership development goals. And and this kind of goes along with the last article that we talked about with burnout and everything. I, yep. I see all these programs being offered, but I cannot mentally do anything more speech-related. Speech I And I wish I had the bandwidth to do that. And this is something that I would like to do in the future. But SLPs are out right now, and it's really hard to get people to sign up for these kinds of things. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. I mean, I've been an ASHA step mentor for most of the years since I've uh, graduated, maybe like two years post-graduation I probably started. Um, and I used to take two mentees and then I was just like, I can only take one. <laughs> and then they're, you know, and then they're, they're people you meet and you don't want them to feel like alone out in the world because they need the support. And so you're, it, it is like definitely something where I have to be really aware of the energy that I put in. Oh. And I think Rachel, you make a good point about us having to have like boundaries around what we can feasibly do versus, you know, maybe there's a grant that is given to a bunch of mentors for providing the service. And then that's something that you can share, even if it's small, that would be something to consider. And this is different than the step mentor, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. this is a separate mentoring? Yeah, I think so. I just wanted to clarify. We'll have the link down in our show notes. And it's also... If you're able to, do it. If you're not, it's okay. It's also another thing that I'm saying, I don't see anything about payment in this. So it's another thing that is unpaid for us to take on if it is unpaid, but uh, it's another SLP it is. issue. It is. volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel volunteer. asks all the right questions, which right. I think is Thank great. you. Thank you. Well, um, as the music is playing underneath, I get to ask my favorite question of the show. What are you looking forward to in the next seven to 10 days that is not therapy related? I am excited because by the time this show airs, I will be done with the school year. Michelle, Rucci, Rachel, what are you looking forward to? My I also don't know why my voice got all soft there and radio, uh, late night radio there. I'm so sorry. My brothers are coming to visit Texas. I have two older brothers Yay. and I don't get to see them nearly enough because Aww. they live far apart. And so just them, they are coming. We could have a sibling, Yay. sibling visit. Um, I'm going to LA this weekend for something that's therapy related, but I will do non-therapy related things. Yes, you Um, should. Yes, so it'll be great. (laughs) I have been on autopilot for several weeks right after having COVID for the first time. So my body is like taking a hit. So first time, right? First time or the third time? The third time, sorry. There you go. My brain is also taking a hit. so I plan on doing absolutely nothing this weekend. I am not going to talk to anyone. I'm going to be wrapped in a blanket <laughs> and watch probably Queen Charlotte or something. Do you Hang need a Plex server to watch lots of James Bond movies? Yes, please. Our intro music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazard's License Under an Attribution and Share Like License. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock. Copyrighted John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music and our closing music is the slow burn by kevin mcleod it's playing right now it's licensed under a creative commons attribution license in the immortal words of janice wright always be a willow the oak looks strong but in the first storm it will crack 
The willow will bend and return to form for vacationing willow Marie and current willows Michelle, Rucci, and Rachel. I'm Matt. Until next time, so long. Bye. 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 Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.